Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. All right, welcome to our program. It is indeed, as the big voice indicated, the Sends Nation Hockey Podcast. It is Steve Warren along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. We got lots to get to today. We'll talk a little bit about, well, are they going to get back to work as we record this? We're expecting the Battle of Ontario to resume on Saturday night. It's been a while for both clubs. It's been like since mid-December that either team played a game. Uh, we'll talk about COVID, the attendance rule. I don't, I, I don't want to talk too much about COVID, but it, we have to discuss it a little bit. Uh, Ty Boucher, their 10th overall draft pick, leaving school this week, and he will join the 67s. We'll get into that. The World Juniors have been canceled. We'll talk a bit about the women's U18 that earlier this month got uh, canceled due to COVID, and a lot of people were upset about that. Could Zach Sanition be a future senator? Who knows? And a whole lot more coming up today on the Sens Nation podcast. How are you, Greg? I'm, I'm good, Stephen. I, I like the fact that we don't want to talk about COVID, but I think we kind of have to. And I'm, I'm, I'm concerned here, too. I, I know we only do a little bit of the show via video on the YouTube channel, but my hair is not looking good today. I have to apologize <laughs> for that. Sorry. Yeah, run a comb through that thing, will you? All right. All good. No, nobody's here to see uh, your hair. They're here to hear some hockey talk, and we've got lots of it today. And yeah, the Sands is supposed to take on the Leafs on Saturday night, and it's going to be based on a new provincial rule that you can only have 50% in a stadium or a theater or a 1,000 people, whichever is less. And in the case of the Senators, we know that 1,000 will always be the rule there. And I don't know, the way things are going, it just seems hour by hour, things are changing and evolving as far as COVID and rules and things. What do you think? Does the Sens-Leafs game even happen on Saturday night? I don't think so. It it makes no sense. In, in a league now that is... I don't want to say flying by the seat of their pants because they really aren't. They, I'm sure they have protocols in place and decisions and options and plan A, B, C, D. But I would think that there's a there's an outlet there. With all the time now available with the Olympics canceled, there's an opportunity there for teams to, to play with their schedules. And I can't see too many Canadian teams wanting to play home games at this point when you can't capitalize on all the other streams of revenue, uh, well, not to mention the basic of fans, butts and seats, ticket sales, but also you know, the, the beer tickets, the food tickets, the parking, like you're, they're losing even more money when there's an out where they don't have to lose as much money if they can tinker with their schedule and just play a whole bunch of road games against American teams. What about the quote from Brady Kachuk today? He said about the capacity limits, I wish it was a full crowd for, the game against the Leafs on Saturday. I know the province has put in rules to keep people safe. It sucks. I just wish they gave people the choice on the decision to come to games instead of just kind of taking it away. That's one of the most bold statements I've heard Brady Kachuk come up with. Like he, you know, he's always forthright, but that's one that will probably maybe be a little controversial, I think, with the fan base. Yeah, I think so. Well, I don't know that it should be controversial with the fan base. Like, like if I'm a fan, especially if I'm a fan who's do- not only double vaxxed, if I'm double vaxxed and I've got my booster and I even had COVID once, I'm, I, I can't get much more safe than that. So why can't I make a decision on my own to go to a hockey game with, I don't know, five, six, eight, ten, a thousand other people? Like you, you can't fly on a plane without providing proof of your vaccinations. So if I can provide proof of my vaccinations, then why can't I go to a hockey game? I, I, right. I get where he's coming from. Yeah, that's one perspective. But there will be some that would think otherwise right now that, uh, that you know, I, I will admit, I will acquiesce to the fact that I think there's a lot of people going, it doesn't seem as serious this time around as far as the outcome should you be diagnosed with COVID? Doesn't seem like it's that serious, even for those who are, you know, predisposed to something serious happening. Uh, those who are most vulnerable. So I, I understand the pushback um, from that perspective, but certainly perspective-wise, there will be people I think in the fan base or those who aren't Sens fans who are going to kind of raise an eyebrow at what Kachuk had to say there. That's all I'm saying. I see your perspective as well, no question. Um, there is a lot of speculation. Kenny Warren was talking about that in his column today. Speculation that all Canadian teams have petitioned the NHL to postpone all games scheduled in the country 
until late January. And that would, of course, be for what you talked about, the loss of revenue that you don't want to have to get into. Play it later when things are safer. A thousand fans. God, you think about that. A thousand fans. Does that even pay for your concession people, your ticket takers, your ushers, let alone thinking about the an unbelievable payroll of the players themselves? So it, uh, I, I certainly feel for it's funny to say they're all billionaires. I can't feel too much for them, but I mean, they're trying to run a business. They don't want a thousand people coming to the games. It's this just in, it doesn't work out very well economically. Yeah. Especially when they have options, right. And as, as I said earlier, there's the option here to jig your schedule. Uh, it might get a little complicated later, it, it, like come February, if if things change come February, when all these teams in Canada have all these home games to make up uh, on the plus side, there's not a lot of competition anymore for these venues. At one point, concerts were coming back, but now I think probably that's gone. So there shouldn't be a lot of competition uh, to find a date to play a game in your home rink in the future. Uh, but it's it's definitely weird. That, that, I mean, think about it. You're, you're actually saying, look, no, we'd rather go play a whole bunch of road games right now. That's strange, right? Normally, under, under normal circumstances, you would never want such a scenario. But it, it's what makes sense from the almighty dollar perspective. And that's what it's probably coming down to here. I mean, you, you could make the argument that, that you've already lost enough money. What the hell does it matter? You're screwing with your season by rescheduling home games. But I, the, the dollar always wins out in the end, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'll get you to put your coaching ball cap on and analyze what kind of a performance this is likely to be. First of all, you've got lots of guys out of the lineup for the Sens right now. We just saw uh, some key guys go on in Josh Norris. He will not play. He's in COVID protocol as of today, as is Tyler Ennis. We saw Anton Forsberg go in the other day. And for the Leafs, you got Nylander, Riley, Muzzin, Lilligren. They've all gone on to COVID protocol, so they're not going to play. But even more than that, You've got both teams that haven't played a single game in at least two weeks. The Sens played on December 18th against the Flyers. The Leafs have been idle since the 14th after a 5-1 loss to the Oilers. And so I guess my question is, what kind of performance is this to be? Is this like going to be a rusty-looking thing? Oh, it's going to be disgusting, don't you think? Especially the first period. Uh, the, the, the plus, I guess, is both teams are sort of in the same scenario. Neither of them have played in a while, so there's rust on both sides. So maybe in that sense, the game will be okay, but uh, it it could get real sloppy. Uh, just just the lineup decisions alone would be hell for a coach trying to figure out, okay, who can play, who can't play, who do I play with who, how does that affect my matchups? Like the whole game could be a, uh, a you-know-what show when it comes down to it, if if they in fact play. I, I'm, I'm still expecting probably within the next hour or two, we're going to find out that the game's been postponed. But if they do play it, it ain't going to be pretty. This is Steve's Law of Podcasting. <laughs> At least uh, it seems like that the last two weeks, that the second I hit publish on the podcast, that's when big news will break and we'll, we'll render this podcast completely uh, obsolete within moments. But uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. It feels like it's going in that direction as we record here on New Year's Eve, but we shall see. Uh, Matt Murray was called up. So again, uh, Ennis Norris, they're out. And you've got uh, Clark Bishop and Andrew Shaw that have been called up to go on this new uh, uh, taxi squad. And then you've got Gustafson, who has returned. DJ Smith has returned as well at a COVID protocol. And Matt Murray has been called up. And we're wondering off the air if this would have been his time to come up anyway. What do you think? Is it only out of an emergency situation that Matt Murray is back here or might they have been calling him up about this time anyway? Well, I've given it some thought since we started talking about it back and forth via text there a couple of days ago, I guess. And I think it, it, this is probably the time Forsberg has been pretty much taken over the number one slot. And Gustafson is, as we've sort of said, if he's not going to play, is this the right place for him to be? And I, I think the answer is no. The right place for him to be is is in Belleville and playing. The problem is, of course, that Belleville's not necessarily playing right now either. So that causes a bit of a, uh, a headache. But you don't want Matt Murray sitting there not playing in Belleville while you've got Gustafson not playing in Ottawa, which is the better scenario. Um, we talked about the almighty dollars often dictating things from a dollars and cents standpoint. It 
you want Murray up here making his NHL salary. If you're paying him that kind of money, then he should be up here and playing. But yeah, I, I, I'm okay with the decision. It, it makes sense that he should be here. It makes sense that this is probably the right time. He's been down there for a couple of weeks. If it had been a normal schedule, he would, would have got a f- few more games under his belt by now. But yeah, this is about the right time for him to come up. And the the side of it that Gustafson isn't quite isn't playing as as you would want him to play. So send him down. Makes sense. Yeah, I think it's not a bad play at all. But at the same time, would there be any wisdom in giving a guy like Mad Sogard a taste the way they did with, say, Lassie Thompson? He got in a few games, got a taste, back down to now that he knows what he has to do, what what he ha- what improvements need to occur for him to be a, a true regular NHL defenseman. Could the same not be said of goaltending? And then maybe there'd be some wisdom in giving Sogard a taste because right now we're in, I hate to call it silly time, but the Ottawa Senators probably aren't going to the playoffs. So it wouldn't be the end of the world if you called a kid like that up, would it? Uh, yeah, I would agree. There's a, there's a time for him to come up. I just, I just don't think it's now. I think that uh, he, he needs to play. He needs to play a lot. And uh, if he's down there with Gustafson, he, you know what? Now I'm talking myself out of it, Steve, because if he's down there with Gustafson, he's probably not playing a lot either, is he? So I don't know. I, I I think that they they want to give an opportunity to Matt Murray to to one more opportunity to Matt Murray to show that he has fixed himself or whatever he needed to do. He even denied that he was going there to fix himself. He he worded it as I'm continuing the process or something. He didn't think he needed fixing. But uh, no, I I don't think this is this is an opportunity. This is this isn't the right time to bring Matt Sogard up. Who knows when you're going to be playing anyway. And who knows how many games you're going to get him into up here if you've got Forsberg going pretty well. And there's also the whole COVID thing, I think, factors into it too. Do we do we want to expose him to that if there's something here or some problems that could happen here? Let's just leave him where he is and, and go on from here. I think he comes up later in the year for sure, just not now. Now, speaking of great prospects, the Sens at four going at the World Junior Hockey Championships in Edmonton. And the World Juniors, well, they got a couple of games in a piece, and that's it. It's over. They've canceled the World Juniors. There is some possibility they might try and resurrect this thing sometime in the summer when maybe this is all behind us. But maybe a word from you on, are you surprised the World Juniors were canceled in, in, in the circumstances? Like I think about like Team USA only two positive tests, and they end up forfeiting a game. A couple other teams, same thing and then suddenly it's over. It didn't seem like the threshold for number of COVID cases was that high, but they decided to pull the plug on the whole thing. What'd you think? Well, from what I've been able to gather, the uh, the IIHF uh, medical committee basically told them, if you don't do this, it's going to double the next day and double the next day and double and double and so on and so on. So I, I, I think as one of your favorite lines, Steve, it was only a matter of time. I think we both knew, and I think a lot of people knew that this just once you had the the first couple, it was like, no, this this isn't going to happen. It's it's not going to finish. It's a shame, but I think they erred on the side of caution and they erred on the side of uh, medical advice from professionals, and they probably made the right decision. There are unpredictable factors, of course. It's not just about hockey, of course. You don't know what's going on in the province. You've had in, an increase and. In, some of that's beyond the International Ice Hockey Federation. But, I mean, when you think about the way they laid this out, it wasn't in a bubble. Fans were allowed to come to the games. And the teams themselves got to – they went they went to hotels that had the general public in them. There was no real bubble from that perspective either. And then when you think about that threshold of very few cases, I know there was expectations, okay, this could double and all that. It just seemed to me when you lay it all out like that – It feels like this thing was doomed from the start, doesn't it? So let's change gears. Big news from the Sens organization this week, and that is their 10th overall draft pick. We talked about Tyler Boucher in our last episode, and whether it's time to be concerned about his development. You know, if you're not at the World Juniors and you're not ripping up your amateur team, Tyler Boucher is doing neither. 
is that something to be concerned about? And I think that most fans would agree that, yeah, probably it's at least a, a little concern. Well, this was the joke. Uh, <laughs> seconds after our last episode, Tyler Boucher announces he is leaving Boston University and he will join the OHL club that has his rights. Oh, look at that. It turns out to be the Ottawa 67s. Let's, um, before we get your take on it, let's hear the announcement. Uh, well, it wasn't the announcement per se, but Pierre Dorian met with the media shortly after the news broke. Obviously, we're very happy to have signed Tyler Boucher today to uh, an entry-level contract. Uh, where it goes from here um, is that Tyler, obviously, uh, just going to give you a bit of the facts, is that through the first half of the year, uh, myself uh, and other members of our hockey staff had conversations with Tyler. Obviously, things weren't going the way that he thought the conversation or the direction should go with Boston University. It's a good program. You know, they've developed a lot of good players. Um, having a chance to watch quite a few of his games. Uh, and after one weekend, Tyler and I had a really good conversation with Sean Donovan. Uh, he was pondering maybe leaving. We told him that whatever decision that he would make, we would respect, uh, which was very important for us. And then early December, uh, ended, ended, talk, ended up talking with his, with his agent now, his family advisor at the time. And um, they just felt that probably going uh, the 67s route was the best option. Uh, so I ended up talking with James Boyd at the 67s and with the coach of the caliber of Dave Cameron. Uh, we just felt that this was the best route to go. So there's Pierre Dorian talking about Tyler Boucher. Eh, that last bit makes you think for a second. I don't know if Dave Cameron's all that anxious to spend a lot of time with Pierre Dorian in discussions about <laughs> development of this young player when remembering that it was Pierre Dorian who fired Dave Cameron not that long ago as head coach of the Ottawa Senators. But that aside, what did you think about Tyler Boucher leaving school this week? Uh, not a surprise. I firmly believe that the best place for a player of his uh, skill set is the OHL. He plays an NHL power forward game. And that doesn't necessarily fit in the NCAA. He's, he's leading the team with 34 BIMs. That's a big number in the NCAA. He's a physical, uh, hard guy to play against. He's not a tic-tac-toe, dipsy-doodle guy. So his game is far more suited to be in the OHL, and it makes perfect sense for him to be there now. I wonder about the timing. I wonder about the conversations. I wonder if it really did just happen now. I wonder if Pierre really did just say to him, oh, well, you guys, you know, we'll support whatever decision you make. Or was Pierre in there saying, look, this is where you need to be. You know, I, who knows what really went on behind closed doors, but I think it's the right place for him. Whether he's going to be successful or not, I have no idea, but I look forward to seeing him play. And then we can make an assessment of that our amateur assessment, you and I, but um, it'll be interesting to see how we, how he performs and who he plays with. Yeah. I think that's uh, probably a better option for him. He did say, however, it was pretty hard to leave BU. Uh, yeah, definitely uh, very difficult. Um, I think the biggest thing for me was um, I think I, I felt like it was the best, best to go and leave. But um, I think the hardest thing was leaving my teammates. I think, um, you know, play hockey, uh, you build you build relationships with guys on your team, um, and that's definitely the hardest part of leaving. Um, but I felt I felt this was best uh, for me, and definitely thought about it long and hard, and um, I feel good about it. Sounded like he was a fourth liner, basically at Boston U, and that's <laughs> not exactly ideal. It's funny when you you describe the player. I said to myself, "Well, that sounds like a pretty good fourth round draft pick." But anyway, <laughs> um, certainly it, it sounds like things. Uh, I don't know if he was sold a bill of goods. You know, maybe there is an, an expectation that when a guy's a first rounder, that uh, maybe the coach was talking him up and saying you could be doing this, and you know, we'll we rely on you for that. And then when you get a look at the actual product, then then things change. I don't know exactly what occurred between Boucher and uh, and the Boston call it, or Boston University coaching staff, but uh, clearly it it wasn't what he expected. Well, this is a this is a coaching staff that recruited him uh, four years ago. Like basically, he 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 had committed to them, or they'd committed to him four years ago. He he said that in his uh, in his availability. This is a guy that they have looked at and watched and wanted for a long time. So, if it was a scenario where 
they didn't think he was up to snuff, then he probably would not have been on the team to start the season, I would think. Um, does the fact that he's a, he was drafted in the first round mean, okay, well, now he's automatically on the team? When it comes right down to it, though, you need to earn your ice time. And he wasn't earning any more ice time than he was getting based on his on his stats and his game. And obviously, he was not a top six guy at that level. Will he be a top six guy in Ottawa? I don't know. Is he just a first round bust? Should he have waited till the fourth round? We Again, we're never going to know any of this stuff. Or sorry, we're not going to know any of this stuff for another couple of years. Let's watch the kid even play with the 67s and, and see what happens there. I, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing if he's going to be a top six guy with the 67s first, and then we can maybe go from there. So while Boucher said it was hard to leave BU, it's pretty clear he was frustrated based on these comments. Yeah, I think I went through a little bit of adversity. Um, it, I don't think it went the, you know, the way I thought it was going to go. Um, but I guess that's, that's part of hockey. Um, you know, it's not always going to be great. Um, and, you know, I felt maybe it wasn't the, the best fit for me. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm excited to, I'm excited for a new opportunity in Ottawa. So I'm looking forward to it. So there you go, Tyler Boucher and uh, leaving school. He'll be off to the Ottawa 67s. Kind of weird. He ends up uh, within, I think, I don't know, it's a few, at least a couple of days. He ended up uh, being the latest to go on into COVID protocol, got a positive test. So travel is an issue at this stage. January 6th is the date they're targeting and trying to get him in the lineup as soon as possible. The OHL, given that it's the amateur ranks and uh, the province is keeping an eye on everything, Uh, I have some skepticism as to whether there's actually going to be much OHL hockey in the early part of the new year. So he's technically a member of the Belleville Senators on paper right now. But if the OHL has to shut down for any extended period, he does have the option and they plan to because they don't want him not playing. That's the worst scenario as far as development goes, not playing at all. There is a good chance as well that he could play in the American Hockey League to start. And that certainly would be baptism by fire. If you're uh, if you're struggling against the older competition in collegiate hockey, I don't know if the AHL is the best place for you, ideally. But this is the nice thing, Steve. The nice thing about geographically here, it really works out well. His major junior club is in the same city as his NHL club, and it's a couple hours away from the American League club. He can skate, he can practice, he can work out, he can play for one of three teams that are all within two and a half hours of each other. So that probably factored into the decision to leave BU as well. Like, who knows where COVID's going to go? But in this case, COVID was maybe a plus in helping make a decision where I can go somewhere and and hopefully get some more ice time. Uh, and, and if I don't get ice time, at least I've got three different opportunities for, for skating and practicing and working out, as I said, and, and playing games. And Camper blocks it down, an empty net for Zach Senechin. He's got his first NHL goal. Charlie Coyle sent the rookie up the wing. (laughs) And that is a well-earned smile and his family here to see it. (laughs) (laughs) That's Jack Edwards with the call of Zach Sinitian's first NHL goal back in 2019 with the Boston Bruins. And let's talk trade in the NHL. Start some trade rumors. Not Tyler Tyler Boucher, but let's throw some trade rumors out there. There's some discussion that potentially Zach Sinitian could be out there. The Bruins had three first-rounders a number of years ago. Specific year I don't have off the top of my head, like three, four years ago. Um, And it hasn't worked out particularly well. Who's the only guy in there? Is it it DeBrusque who's the only first-rounder out of those three that's worked out? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the other one is uh, Zubril. Right. And then, of course, Saxonition in that mix as well. And he has not established himself at all as a regular NHL player. He's had cups of coffee. And there is talk that the Bruins may be in the mode of potentially trading this guy. And immediately, anytime that kind of thing happens, as with Claude Giroux, yeah, they might be turning the page on Claude Giroux into free agency. Well, where is he from? Oh, he's from Ottawa. Maybe the Sens are interested. Is it that kind of thing? that maybe has Sinitian connected with the Sens? I think that's a possibility. Uh, He is a skill player. He is a high-end skill player. I can tell you from personal experience that in Bantam, this kid had an NHL shot, NHL stride, skating, professional skater. This kid was a phenomenal offensive talent. Um, 
So that should appeal to the Senators as well. He's a right shot, right winger. Is he a potential fit on your second line right wing? If he's going to make it anywhere at any point in his career, he must play top six, at the very least middle six. The problem in Boston was he was behind too many people. Um, I think that if you check the history of the Boston Bruins, they seem to like their New England players. And he ended up behind far too many guys with getting a call up. And when he did get called up, he's we've seen it here in Ottawa. A skilled player gets called up. You play him on the fourth line. He can't produce. You send him back down. Then you go over the same routine over and over again. And eventually you trade him to St. Louis. Um, but in this case, here's a guy who could maybe play and could maybe bring some offense to a to a second unit on your team. Yeah, looking at it, it was the 2015 draft. Yes. And it was uh it was amazing. It was uh like three straight picks in the first round, the 13th mm-hmm. overall, 14th and 15th. So it was Jakobs Borrell, um, then Debrosh, then Sinition. But boy, there's some big names that came right after, right after Sinition. Matthew Barzal was next with the Islanders, Kyle Connor with the Jets, Thomas Shabbat. Those are the next three guys taken after Sinition, and uh, Sinition still stands at 14 games played, three points in the NHL. Boy, compared to the other numbers of the other guys there, there's some ruined yeah. scouts who are kicking themselves, no doubt about that. Um, well, but yeah. I, I can tell you, I, I attended a, a charity event in uh, September, uh, an Edmonton Oilers charity event, and I ended up at a table sitting beside Louis DeBrusque. And... Uh, Cards on the table, I coached Zach Sinition for two years. I know the family quite well. Good kid, love the people. Anyway, I asked Louie about Zach Sinition. I said, you must have gone down and seen uh, Jake when he was playing in Providence. What are your thoughts on Sinition? And Louie shared with me that he thought maybe the kid had been, as I said, kind of stuck behind too many people and felt that the kid could play. But sort of same thing I said. He's got to play in a, in a role with minutes and with line mates that match his game, and that's not on a third or fourth line. So for whatever that's worth, Louis thinks maybe the kid could produce in the NHL. I think probably a more likely uh, destination for him is probably Arizona. I think there's there's lots of guys – lounging at the top end of teams prospect lists in the minors who are unhappy who could probably play in Arizona and Zach Sinition is one of those guys I if he comes to Ottawa great I don't know how much of an opportunity he get to play here though I think that would be the the only stumbling block here yeah I mean I've not seen Zach Sinition play hockey like at any level but I just look at statistically if you say he can only play in a top six scenario like that's where he would need to be there's just nothing in the american hockey league that makes me think that that's attainable at this stage like five years now in the american hockey league and here in his fifth year he has 13 points in 22 games if you're going to be top six in the nhl you You need need to have done something yeah you need something you need something even if i go back a year or two and say okay well there i saw it there uh statistically there's nothing there unfortunately that would grab me love to cheer for the local kid and everything um you know, I think he was. He, he, I think he was a classmate of my daughter's at one point. Um, so you can't help but cheer for a local kid. But just looking at things statistically and and the, and the coldness of it all, you, you kind of look at that and say, I can't see. Maybe you know, I can see making the NHL, maybe in some other role, but top six. Uh, he hasn't you'd, proven you'd, he can do that in the American Hockey League yet. You'd have to go back to his OHL stats with the Sioux to see the the the, the, the type of numbers that he was capable of. Uh, I can tell you this. I, I know one guy who was a big fan, and that was Kyle Dubas. I had a had a game in Castleman, midweek game in Castleman one night with that with that club that Sinition played on, and who showed up? But Kyle Dubas showed up. He was the GM of the Sioux at the time, and had come down to see Zach Sinition play. We met under the bowels. I don't know if you know the rink, but the, there's a hallway under the stands where the dress rooms are. Right. And he came down to talk to me about Zach Sinition. He was a big fan and drafted him in the Sioux, and of course the kid went there and played for Kyle and played for Sheldon Keefe. So I, I always thought there was an opportunity there that maybe they throw him a lifeline and the kid starts with the Marlies or something. But I mean, you're right. As a, as a pro, he has not put up the kind of numbers that you'd like to see from a guy who you think can maybe play in your top six. But he, I don't even know that he plays in the top six in Providence, for crying out loud. 
I don't even right. know how much second power play. He's certainly not in the first power play unit, or trust me, he'd have more power play goals. So there's something going on there. Um, either he just, you know what happens? A lot of players, I'll tell you this about another player that I coached uh, here in Ottawa who was a who was a third-round draft choice, and eventually he, he got up to the pros. He played in the NHL for like 50 games one year, and then it was just up, down, up, down, up, down. And I asked a buddy of mine who was a scout, with the team he was playing for. I said, what happened to this kid? Why didn't it work out? And the answer from the guy was, and I quote, he hit the hockey sense wall. Oh. It comes a certain point where your lack of hockey sense can affect you. Whereas you, when you're younger and you have no hockey sense, but you've got all the skill, you can dominate a game. Right. As you get older, if you don't develop hockey sense and you don't know where to be and what to do with and without the puck in all scenarios, you become less and less and less effective. And that, that maybe is what happened here with Zach as well. Who knows? You look at his last two years in the Sioux, like ripped it up goals wise, 45 goals and 42 goals, but a bit Cy Youngish, 45 goals, 20 assists, and then 42 goals, 23 assists. But, uh, yeah, it just hasn't, uh, hasn't translated yet at any level of the professional ranks. And so what would you give up for someone like that? If the sensei wanted a reclamation project, maybe there's still something there. Like what would you be willing to give up? I wouldn't think a lot. No. Well, if it's one for one, it's nothing more than a third rounder or I I would start with another minor leaguer. Like I'll, I'll send you a guy from Belleville for your guy from Providence. Yeah. But maybe it's more of a package thing. Let's face it. The senators have players here that they can be moving by the deadline. And let's also face it. Boston has a player in Louis DeBrusque that wants out. And now you've got Zach Sedition who wants out. So maybe it's a package deal. You know, maybe it's a, if I'm the the Boston Bruins, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm I'm starting with Connor Brown. I'm I'm looking at Connor Brown for DeBrusque and Sinitian. Or or if it's not Connor Brown, is it a Nick Paul? Is it a Chris Tierney? Is it a Tyler Ennis in a package with Tierney and Ennis and somebody else in a package? Like those are the kind of players that the Sens are going to be looking to move. Sorry, not necessarily Connor Brown, mm-hmm. but uh Paul, maybe he's on an end of a contract. Tierney for sure. Ennis for sure. These are guys the Sens are going to want to move. Those are the kind of players they're going to be offering. And then the talks start and they expand and they expand. And maybe you end up with a Connor Brown in the conversation too. Uh, Again, assuming DeBrusque is coming back in a package. Right. All right, we'll see how it goes, and we certainly wish Zach Sinitian all the best. Good local guy there, as we say. When we come back on the show, we'll talk a little bit about our expectations for the new year for the Ottawa Senators. First, I want to tell you about Jim K. Ford. Happy New Year from Jim K. Ford. And you know what? In 2022, Jim K. Ford will be celebrating their 40th anniversary. They are one of the longest-running dealerships in the entire city. I've been going to them for about 20 years now, I think, and I highly highly recommend them too. If you're enjoying the show and you need a new vehicle or a certified pre-owned vehicle, then I hope you'll give them a shot. Check them out today at jimkford.com. They're at 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans. And just like craft beer years ago, the market for craft spirits is booming right now. And Dunrobin Distilleries is at the forefront in Ottawa. They currently offer artisanal gin and vodka, rye whiskey, 12 different flavors of bitters, and their recently launched Earl Grey gin, all made with the finest quality ingredients right here in Ottawa. Now available at the LCBO, DunrobinDistilleries.com. Where will your spirit take you in the new year? Back to the Sens as they lay right now. What are you expecting out of this club? I mean, let's let's say that they get back to work on Saturday and they're not interrupted any further. What are you expecting from this club here in the second half? Wow, that's a big question, eh? I know. <laughs> I'm thinking that their second half, barring injuries and barring screwed up scheduling and COVID problems, I think their second half can look a lot like their last 12th, their last quarter of, of last season. They were a team that was starting to come on, finding their identity, understanding who they are, playing the game the way it needs to be played properly. And with additions coming, like a Jake Sanderson coming, with the insertion of a, of a Thompson or a JBD in a lineup that's been happening, maybe with a slightly resurrected Matt Murray, I can see this team having a really good second half. What about you? 
You're the you're a bigger Sens fan than I. What about you? Well, there's not many that are bigger Sens fans than me. <laughs> um, I sh- I probably shouldn't even admit that. It doesn't sound very objective, but it's not professional. It was, well, it, it, that's the thing. It was uh, it was always laid out to me when I started working at TSN twelve hundred. I'll get to your answer your question yes. in a second. But when I started at TSN twelve hundred, I arrived with full intention of being the objective sort of journalist guy, you know, trying to keep a you know, even keel on things. And the boss was all about, no, no, you're from here. You are the local guy. We don't have many local guys in this entire radio station. And of the local guys, I think you're the only sense fan. We want that on the air, like bring it. So that's why you got the blue team elimination watch and why you got me in kind of fan mode through all those years on TSN 1200. I suppose it was just I a role you were playing. It wasn't just a role. It was absolutely <laughs> true to the point, but I could have put it away like anybody else. Like there's not, you know, you've, yeah. you were a Leaf fan when you were growing up, right? You can put it aside where you need to, but that doesn't mean you don't have affection for various clubs and such. Although in this case, you being a Leaf fan on a Sense podcast, maybe we should re- reassess this entire thing. But <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. I am not a, a Leaf fan now. I understand. I understand. But uh, every, like a Bob McKenzie, for example, or whoever you put up as the hockey yeah. guy who's supposed to be objective, they grew up as a fan of somebody, and they're lying if they're saying otherwise. So that that's the background of, of my fandom as a sense, uh, well, observer, media guy, uh, all that. But uh, so I'm trying to decide, long story short, I'm trying to decide how to answer your question here. Do I answer <laughs> it from what I'm hoping as a fan or as a media guy? I really think there is an opportunity for them to be as good as they've been in the month of December because uh, God knows they were just absolutely awful up until that point. And I think that their young guys is getting more mature by the game. Like that top line right now, they don't look like kids to me anymore. They, they're in the upper half of top lines in the league, if not the top third, and getting better all the time. And they have that core, whatever, you know, the seven-player profile. They're getting to that stage where they're getting that profile. Thomas Shabbat's been awesome on defense. Anton Forsberg, I don't know if he can be that long-term, but he's been the star goalie that they've been looking for in the month of December. Whether that can continue, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if I'm to analyze what I think is going to happen, I feel like they figured something out. Something clicked in December, and I feel like they can probably keep that rolling uh, as long as everybody stays healthy and off COVID. Well, it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> I, just, I just, I agree with you. I agree with you that the way they're playing now or the way they were playing before they got shut down is easily carried forward. You're doing all the right things, guys. Just keep doing those things. And that shouldn't be all that difficult. They should be able to continue this. I don't know that they continue at five, one and two for every seven games, but they certainly are capable of playing far better than they played in October, November. They've proved it. They've shown it. They've come together. They should be able to continue at a decent pace for the rest of this season. All right. So an analytic story grabbed your attention today, and that was the Belleville Senators bolstering their analytics and data department. They've uh, they hired a guy named Max Abrahams. I found it interesting. He's joining on a volunteer basis. I said to myself, well, when you think about <laughs> Eugene, that's kind of on brand. <laughs> and this other thing was you wanted to talk a little bit about the company that the organization might be using for the whole analytics well, it, thing. It, it makes sense that they they, uh, they mentioned the use of Sport Logique, which is a Quebec company that does video breakdowns and supplies you with a complete analytics report on all the stuff that we all hear about all the time. So essentially it's, it's, they do it for you. You don't need to have a staff of five or six, like the blue team. You've got a staff of one or two and all your games are sent out to these folks and they provide you with a report like the next within hours, you've got a full report from your, from your game. So I found that interesting that that might explain like there's so many people out there saying they don't have an analytic staff. Well, you don't necessarily need one if you're using a, for lack of a better word, let's say a consultant, you're somebody's doing it for you. It doesn't, they don't have to have a staff of people doing it uh, in order to get it done. I think it's great that they've hired a hired. They found a 
a volunteer to work with their staff because it sounds like the, the the video coach is also the traveling coordinator. He's the he's the George Costanza of the Yankees there, the assistant to the what is his title again? <laughs> assistant to the traveling, to the traveling secretary. secretary. Yeah. It sounds like the video coach is also possibly the traveling secretary. So it it removes duties from his plate and you've got somebody in there who's who's willing to do the work and reading his quotes. He, he, he knows what he's talking about. It looks like he, he wants to do the work down there and he's going to do it for free. That's a bonus. Like, okay, do we really need to, to crap all over them that they found a volunteer? How, how Senator like, Hey, they found somebody to do some work for them. And the guy sounds like he knows what he's doing. And that can only be a positive. And then the added thing here is the mention of sport logique tells me that, I mean, I always assumed they were using something and now we know what company it is and they certainly do work for lots of pro hockey teams and NHL teams included. So it, it, uh, it kind of addresses that scenario here in Ottawa as well. Are you a fan of analytics? I mean, I'm talking a really deep dive into analytics. I think everybody uses numbers to some degree, um, but I, I go on some of the analytics sites and it go, and I'm always oh. interested in stats but holy cow, they, they these these odd graphs that they have going, and I, I don't I don't even know what I'm looking at half the time. It's the Rorschach diagram of the zone, right? You seen you've seen those when they show the offensive zone that looks like a somebody spilled paint on it with the blues and the reds. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? That's yeah. one of them. Yeah, there's a few like that. So where are you at with analytics right now in 2021? I think the bottom line numbers are, are like, I'm with you. It's tough sometime to understand and figure out exactly what's going on. And, and reading those diagrams isn't always easy, but I understand the positive use for stats. I'll give you a quote that I got from EJ McGuire. EJ McGuire said, use stats the way a drunk uses a lamppost for support, <laughs> not illumination. Right. Stats should be supporting what your eye is telling you, not bringing you something oh my god we have to completely switch to this look at this oh my god no it's 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 a support mechanism as a coach it's like there are certain stats simple ones okay like like first pass efficiency uh how many times when this guy's on the ice and has the puck on his stick do we get out of the zone some of those stats are important what is our percentage of getting a shot off the rush Every time we have an entry, how many? How long does it take us to get a shot? How many shots do we get? What's the percentage of ent- of shots to entries? What is the percentage of scoring chances to shots? Like how many of our shots are wasted shots and how many of our shots are actually scoring chances? There are stats there that are like, yeah, they make sense to every normal person and you don't need a Rorschach diagram. Um, I understand all the other stuff. I can read it and and figure it out. And it's good too. But even the most basic of stuff in analytics is really good to help you support uh, to support your coaching staff and decisions that you make when it comes to player selection, ice time, uh, trades, scouting, uh, practice planning, choices of, of what system we're going to play based on the players that we have. There's all kinds of things that can support a coach that come out of analytics. EJ McGuire was a prince of a guy, wasn't he? Yeah, beauty, beauty, world-class yeah. beauty. Yeah, he was one of the Ascends assistant coaches in their expansion year, I believe it was. And he bounced around as an assistant coach in other places in the NHL. He was also part of Central Scouting for a long time. No longer with us. He passed away about 10 years ago. But just a prince of a guy. So nice to talk to and always had gems like the one he gave you about analytics, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we used to count on EJ a lot when we when I was organizing uh, advanced level and advanced two level coaching clinics for, uh, for then the ODHA uh, you could always count on EJ to come in and give a presentation. Um, the man, the, the man wrote notes, Steve, to, to people. He sent you a card. He sent you a, a note in the mail. He, he used snail mail. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I'd always get them and you'd open them up and there'd be uses of different fonts and uses of different colors for certain sections and statements that he made in them. Like he took the time to send mail, um, just a sweetheart of a man, uh, and, and, a and a large contributor in, in hockey back in his day. Uh, he was a, he was a Keenan disciple. A lot of you, you track him. A lot of the places where he worked was either with Mike Keenan or with other people who'd worked with Mike Keenan. But uh, a sweetheart of a man, and, and you're absolutely right, sorely missed. Yeah, no doubt. 
Uh, closing it out today, uh, it's not looking very good for Sens and Leafs. They've actually canceled the morning skate that's just in uh, on Saturday morning at Scotiabank Arena. Game's still set, though, for 7 o'clock. Um, but I'm not holding my breath. We shall see. Hopefully it happens just from the perspective of people need a little something, something. We do have the NFL playoffs looming and certainly all the playoff races. Got some great college football as well. But uh, with the loss of the World Junior Hockey Championships, it's kind of this holiday tradition. Uh, it'd be nice to get some Sens action in, wouldn't it? Oh, it'd be great. I I, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I hope it does. I, I yeah. sincerely do hope it happens. Just, okay, I understand that you want to change the schedule around and, and not have home games, but just give us this one first, please. Yeah, that would be nice. Can't think about hockey and New Year's Eve if you're of a certain vintage without thinking of, what is often regarded as one of the most exciting hockey games ever played, and that would be the 75 New Year's Eve game between the Montreal Canadiens and the Soviet Red Army and the classic call from Danny Gallivan. Great opportunity for the Canadian player. Now Savard is in over the Soviet line. Savard goes to the corner trying to center it. Here's Ganey with it. Ganey has it. He centered it right in front. Here's the Bears shooting it. And a tremendous save. Another save by Tretziak. Scintillating save by Tretziak. Here's Harlamov coming in over the line. Harlamov centered it and a swept away by Savard, who ignited that Canadian rally. Mikhailov shoots it, tries to look behind him, and it's cleared away by Lafleur. How well do you remember that one? By the way, that's uh, courtesy of CBC, Danny Gallivan with the call. How well do you remember that classic 3-3 draw between the Soviet Red Army as they were touring North America against NHL teams taking on the Montreal Canadiens that night? Well, it's one of those things, Steve. Do, do you remember it specifically, or you do, do you remember it because you've seen so much footage of it? Right? I, like... I, like do you well, remember was, the game? I, yeah, I do. I I, mean, I remember moments. It's all it's all fuzzy like anything else when you're a small child. Mm-hmm. But I, what I do take away is how out of breath I felt after watching Peace. it because because I was a Montreal Canadiens fan at that stage in my life, and I wanted to win that game so badly. And I, but yeah, I have seen all kinds of video that's kind of galvanized my general fuzzy memories. Um, and I think about that whole tour the going home game at the spectrum when the Soviets basically left the ice and claimed they're going to go home. And the way Fred Shiro was talking about it going into the game, I'd never seen this interview, but I saw it a number of years ago. He said, if we win this game, I'm going to be sky high. And if we lose, I think it'll be worse than dying. Can you imagine saying that today about a, an <laughs> exhibition hockey game? It wouldn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that I watched the game. I remember I actually I have more vivid memories of that flyer game. Bob Cole saying they're going home. Yeah. Um, but I, I do remember the Hab game mainly because of the pace of the game. And I remember that the Russians, they had less than 15 shots. Like it just right. wasn't in their game plan. The, the, it was, it was more so than 72. You really saw how they, how they regrouped. They step up to the blue line. Don't like what they see. They, they curl back and regroup and, and try it again. Um, and I remember, um, Victor Tikhonov saying, uh, proclaiming post game that Bob Gainey was the best player in the world, and being a non Hab fan, I was cheering for the Russians and poo pooed the comment about Bob Gainey, as I recall. <laughs> yeah, it sure was wild to watch the Soviets, though. In general, even though they maybe didn't generate many shots that night, just how different they looked. They looked like a just this ongoing flow drill compared yeah. to the hockey we were used to, which resembled tabletop hockey, where you're in your slots going up and down your lanes. Not to say they didn't crisscross here and there, obviously, but by comparison to what the Soviets were doing, it was just uh, it just looked different, and it was interesting. Well, I can remember Canada Cup games and Canada Russia games, and 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 here's the one thing that that I, I can remember saying it at the time to people: it's when the when the Canadians cross the blue line, it's like, oh hey, they might get a shot off here, something might come of this. But when the Russians crossed the blue line, it was like, oops. Look out, like something's going to happen because of the pace of play, because of their their high-end skill, because of their ability to find people and make passes like nobody's business. It was almost like you, you were on the edge of your seat and nervous whenever the Russians crossed the blue line, but it was yeah. like no big deal when Canada crossed the Russian blue line. Yeah. I was I was actually watching, and this, this goes back to, you know, 70s and 80s hockey. Like the goaltending is so different 
than it was then. And in that game that night, um, there would have been many examples of it as well, but I was watching the 84 brawl between Quebec and Montreal in the playoffs, but watching the game, not just the, the brawl was secondary, although it was fun to watch. Uh, It seemed (laughs) like even shots like, you know, like you see Lafleur just steps in over the blue line, takes a slap shot from the blue line. That shot is like goalies are yawning as they make that save today. Back then it was like this, like wild, you know, pad stack flipping it's like he took the shot from the blue line what are you doing this massive weird kick save it looked like that could have gone in 50 percent of the time the game has changed so freaking much it's unbelievable yeah well think of the guys that were scoring goals that way like how many goals did mike gartner score that way breeze down the right wing with a clapper and score or yeah or, or lafleur as you mentioned or uh even a, even a peter bondra into the into the 80s like certain plays certain uh, today it would be considered a waste, right? Like right. you try to score from there. What are you doing, kid? Yeah. Right. Like, like that's a pad pass play or that's a look for the guy streaking to the far post tap in play. Nobody skates down the wing and winds up with a clapper anymore. Yeah. That's how much the game has changed. Yeah. I still think of Gilles Gilbert falling over and laying on the ice after the Lafleur clapper in the too many men on the ice game. Like that just, it just wouldn't go in today, but not only would it not go in today, he wouldn't have even taken the shot. No, no, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm getting at. That's a perfect example. Um, okay, let's close it out right there. And we want to wish everybody a happy New Year's, a happy 2022. Hopefully everything for everybody is a whole lot better and we get all this COVID nonsense behind us. There's some great hockey ahead and the Sens, you know, continue to figure things out in the midst of this old rebuild. But uh, Greg, uh, thanks for everything in 2021. I hope you have a fantastic New Year's Eve and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again in our next episode in the new year. For sure. You too, Steve. All the best to you and yours and to all of our faithful, loyal listeners. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SendsNationHockey.com.